Welcome back, and we are back here with Charles Goldfarb, my co-host, and Dr. Gabby O'Day to continue the conversation that we had about orthopedics efforts in diversity and inclusivity, especially the efforts in the AOA. Uh, really great conversation, and looking forward to continuing the conversation now. Fantastic. All right, let's jump right into it. I want to get a little more specific. So at WashU and the hospital we work at Barnes, there's currently a, a perioperative initiative to improve the perioperative culture, really focused mostly around women and how do we make the environment just better? And how do we stop some of the unnecessary challenges that exist? And it's been a really a fascinating process. And I guess I would turn that around a little bit and share with us things around uh, being an underrepresented minority, being a woman, and have you seen effective measures at, in your current position? Are you part of any measures that have, you know, raised the level of expectation or community? I want to get to your role in the AOA, and maybe we'll do that next, but what about locally, wh where you are now? You know, I'm lucky I have a fantastic leadership of my program. Kyle Jure is my chair, an active AOA member, former chair of Critical Issues Committee, as, as well as several other AOA members who are on faculty with me. You know, I have the unique position of being the only woman in my department of 60. I'm not the only black faculty member. Scott Porter is, is also in my program and, and certainly was somebody who's very instrumental in having a conversation of what is it like in this department? What challenges are there faced for somebody who is an underrepresented minority? And, and what opportunities do we have to move forward? So on a local level, I've just started, so it's a little bit challenging to, to talk about what things we have done, but I will say the first thing is, is having the support of good leadership who have said, we understand that as a department that's of primarily males, primarily white males, that we have to provide a supportive environment for our residents, our staff, our co-surgeons who do not fit that mold that is primarily white male. And so I haven't had any specific challenges so far from the perspective of, of being the sole female or one of only two underrepresented minorities in the in the field, but I've also found, you know, unique opportunities to get involved with the medical school down here with our residency program and really sort of make some cracks in the issues of diversity that they have here. Whether it's being involved in the admissions committee for the medical school, being involved in admissions for the residency program. I have a particular interest in research so I've been lucky to be involved in much of our research committees for grant selection, which I think is important because it allows an opportunity to provide diversity of thought in those avenues of academics that perhaps kind of a more homogeneous population before. And then there's more stuff coming down the pipeline, but we're still kind of working through a lot of it. <laughs> uh, that, that's perfect. Certainly, I mean, you, you, have, you have role models and you have leaders in your organization and Obviously, I know Kyle well from uh, the AOA, and seems like he will be a, a, a great uh, supporter for your career. So that that's huge. Yeah, it sounds like a lot in the first year that, that you've already made some inroads with, which is which is great. 
Let's talk about the the AOA. Uh, you've now, I think, been recently assigned as the diversity liaison, working with Dr. Nelson uh, to support some of the AOA's strategic priorities around um, diversity and inclusion. What are some of the programs and some of the initiatives that y'all have started within the AOA to bring this at a national level? So, you know, the timing of when I started as diversity liaison is very telling. It, it was about my position started in June really within the week of the George Floyd incident, coming into our first meeting in my head, I was like, there, I think there is going to be a tremendous effort that's gonna to need to be on me and Charles's shoulders to propel diversity and inclusion moving forward. And in a way I feel lucky because when that is sort of thrown in your face, then you know how to hit the ground running because the ideas start coming in. People are invested in diversity and inclusion now. So there's, there's opportunities for support and to be able to expand initiatives and efforts. You know, Charles has done a lot so far. Him and Lisa Latanza were the initial diversity liaisons. They've done much with the Community Outreach Project, which is partnering with the Boys and Girls Club that was supposed to have its third iteration in Baltimore at the meeting this last year, but was canceled with COVID-19. Similarly, Perry Initiative was going to have a similar medical school outreach program at the meeting, which I think both of these opportunities will, will come back again once we have gotten the pandemic under control, but both speak to great opportunities at pipeline initiatives. Me and Charles were talking recently about how do we look at diversity and inclusion? And the pipeline initiatives, those are bottom-up initiatives, right? You're, you're providing experience and opportunities for people in the hopes that they continue to have an interest in STEM careers and hopefully ultimately in orthopedics. Another area that I'm interested in is from top down and middle out so that we can address diversity at multiple levels. Top down is a little bit challenging because that speaks to how do we increase the number of underrepresented minorities in academic orthopedic surgery. Because what we know is in order to increase the number of minorities and women in orthopedics, they have to have role models that look like them. There have been studies that looked at this and found that in medical schools where applicants have seen somebody who is either a woman and or an underrepresented minority in the orthopedic department, they are more likely to apply into orthopedics. Out of that effort, it's going to be important to increase the number of underrepresented minorities who stay in academic medicine, who have an interest in research, who have an interest in teaching, and, and want to be part of AOA and be part of these initiatives. The next step, which is probably more near and dear to my heart, and probably more because I'm closer to that level, is looking at the middle out. And I see that as how do we support our residents currently? All residents, not just underrepresented minorities, not just women, but everybody. How do we create that inclusive environment where they have the support they need to get through what is universally some of the five most challenging, five to six most challenging years of their career? And what challenges are faced by them, whether if it's burnout, whether if it's 
isolation, whether if it is, you know, challenges with making progression, how do we address those issues? Because ultimately that's how you get from the pipeline initiatives to the leadership goals, whether it's becoming an assistant professor, associate professor, chair. And so that's where I think there's gonna be a lot of ideas that come for which is retention in orthopedics. That's where I'd like to kind of move things forward as the diversity liaison. Thank you, that was fantastic. You know, it's, it's we're, we're all, well, I don't know if we're all, many of us are impatient for change. Uh, it feels <laughs> like one of those points in time where we actually may see change, but yet it's not going to be tomorrow. You know, this is a process that has to evolve and grow and gain momentum. That's got to be, there's got to be frustration there. We're living in strange times right now. I mean, you know, certainly this, this recruitment cycle for orthopedics is going to be very challenging. You know, everything is going to be virtual. And the question is, how do we select a diverse workforce, a diverse residency class based on a Zoom meeting, right? Is this now, are, are we selecting residents like people, you know, use Tinder where you're swiping left, right? There has to be more than just looking at what's on paper. So how do we, how do we get to know people and how do they get to know different programs without that face-to-face -face interaction without walking around and feeling the culture of a different program. And that's a unique challenge. I'm not entirely sure how we're gonna navigate that. I think one of the most important things that we're gonna to need to do is, is, is really dig deep into the type of questions we ask people. How do you get to know somebody on an intimate level in the platforms that we are allowed? And also, how do they get to know the culture of your program in a very abbreviated um, measure? And I think that requires on leaning into a lot more one-on-one -on -one conversations, leaning into a lot more involvement of current residents to express to applicants what their program is like, what the initiatives they have in place are that discuss inclusivity, that discuss support, that um, provide insight about managing burnout and progression. Um, these, are, these are hefty conversations that are, are difficult to articulate in a single day, but now really need to be compressed and articulated in these you know, virtual settings. I totally agree. I think the, the virtual application process is already stressful enough for uh, medical students applying into orthopedics. And I think especially for women and underrepresented minorities, it's going to be even more stressful because those opportunities that they have to come in and sort of break down some of those barriers, maybe show someone that their bias is incorrect and show them that they can fit in in a program is going to be more challenging. You can't really do that on a Zoom meeting. Some of the things that we've talked about in our program are you know, making sure that we re-review all applications of women and underrepresented minorities that may have gone through active engagement from programs. So not just making it the burden on the students to reach out, but having opportunities for programs to reach out, let, let them uh, kind of give you some information sessions, have virtual kind of immersion programs to allow students to get to know programs a little bit better. And then trying to just sort of understand that 
you know, not everyone's going to be able to, to be in a quiet room during a Zoom meeting or be able to have a, a certain look to their, to their um, virtual interview. And so trying to somehow make sure that we, we kind of take that out of the, out of the equation, but it's going to be a challenge. I don't know uh, how it's going to happen. I think one of the things that I'm interested to see is I think programs are going to really try to stick with what they know and, and, and seeing not just within diversity, but within medical schools that, you know, the, the tendency is going to want to be take the five students that are at your program that you already know that you've worked with and you know, they're a sure thing and not maybe venture out. And then you, you lack some of that um, diversity and background that we kind of talked about. So it's a, uh, it's going to be a challenge this year. And, and it's um, I'm not really sure if there's a great answer, but I know it's one of the biggest stress factors right now uh, in the recruitment cycle. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's really going to be challenging for the exact reason, you know, is it better to stick with the people that you know that are medical students at your program or branch out, take a chance on somebody that hasn't rotated at your program, that hasn't, you know, interacted and doesn't really know the culture or fit of the program because you're doing everything via Zoom meeting. And then there are challenges related to personality. These were things that I struggled with in residencies. I'm generally a very soft-spoken person. You know, I can articulate and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But sometimes if you're a more introverted person, so it can be challenging to do a large virtual conference or do or have a conversation with 10 other people at once. And you may need a little bit more time to open up and, and articulate your interests in orthopedics. You may need a month to rotate at a place to really open up and shine. And, and those opportunities are gone for the next year. So, you know, I worry in particular about, uh, about those kind of applicants, those introverts or the people who are a little bit slow to warm up, the people who are, are worried that because they look different, you know, from, or that they're from a different background that they won't fit, are, are they going to end up, you know, taking a back seat, particularly when it comes to rank time, uh, compared to those who maybe are a little bit more vivacious or more outgoing, who can sell themselves on a video conference better? than somebody who's a little bit more quiet. I hope it works out, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, let's do. This will be yeah. very interesting here. Let's see in yeah, uh, we'll five or six years and see, okay, well, did people fit well? How, how did this COVID class, how did they manage at their programs? Uncharted territory. As mm -hmm. we start to wind down, I, I guess I have one sort of broad question. Uh, you know, I, I want to ask you, what advice would you give a younger you, whether that be a woman or an underrepresented minority. And I do wanna hear that, but I think the more practical question because of our audience, I mean, really, I think this podcast is hopefully being listened to by many people, but mostly AOA members. What do you, what do you hope from us? Like what, what, what is our responsibility? What is our role in, uh, in diversity and inclusion and, and social justice? What, what should we be doing? I would tell myself, it is okay to be yourself. I think that's a challenge that every orthopedic resident faces, is that you enter residency and in a way you're asked to fit a mold, you're, you're asked to follow orders and instructions, you're asked to read and learn and understand orthopedics, you're asked to hold a knife properly and take the necessary steps in a case. And oftentimes you lose your sense of self in that, in that pursuit and understanding who you are 
and what you want to accomplish because you're kind of in the weeds. And, and that was a challenge for me, probably in the middle of residency where I had a little bit of a crisis of faith because you're, you're really caught, you're, you're taking call, you're taking care of patients, and you realize that much of your interactions in residency are very transactional, right? Your conversations with people are very transactional. You are asked to do things. You are interacting with patients and they are asking things of you, but you have less opportunities to just have a nice conversation with somebody about the weather or what you did that weekend. And it can lead to a tremendous amount of stress and burnout. And remembering to take time for yourself and remembering the things that you love about yourself and what you enjoy to do is important in order to get through those five years. So that's probably what I would tell my younger self when I'm putting on a splint at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that, is, that, that is perfect. What, would you, what, what do you tell people like Alexander and myself and other members of the AOA? And, and that's an impossible question to answer. But what, what, are, what are easy... Uh, maybe it's not easy. What are what are small steps that can lead to bigger change over time? I think probably small steps is is just like we ask ourselves to stay knowledgeable about our field. It's important to stay knowledgeable about diversity inclusion. It's and and it's not something that you just sort of pass off to somebody that you think maybe knows more than you. I think it's easy to say, well, you know, so and so, like you're you're black or you're Asian. Tell me about the struggles of your entire people. That's, <laughs> that's quite unfair. And oftentimes we're living our own lives too. And, and we don't know the struggles of all of our people. We're, we're asked to be experts about things that maybe we only know our life experience or a small handful of people. And so I would say do the work, continue to read about different diversity efforts in orthopedics, continue to put out more literature that maybe speaks about hard topics. I would say flood the media, you know, include more articles in JBJS and in Yellow Journal about diversity and inclusion, about residency training and learning and inclusion in residency, about academic promotion of underrepresented minorities and women and really push ourselves to understand those topics because as we immerse ourselves in those areas, then it, it becomes not a taboo topic to talk about. You know, we all know those areas in orthopedics where, you know, if it's dog, it's dogmatic because there's not enough literature that tells you one way or the other, right? People light themselves on fire and feel like, oh, well, I always do this. Well, I always do that. And it's typically because there's not enough literature to support one way or the other. So in order to push away, you know, dogmatic thinking, let's do more research. Let's try and really understand problems with health disparities and diversity in orthopedics, because the more we understand either on a research basis, on an evidence-based basis, the more we're able to take steps forward to make changes and improvements. Fantastic. Well, I, I, on behalf of Alexander and myself, uh, it's been a real pleasure. I, I knew this would be easy, but you made it even easier than I thought it might I be. I hope so. It's my first podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. I it's mean, not your last. <laughs> no, not your last. 
and, and, and honestly, we could, I mean, we could go on for hours and, and, and when, when Chuck and I are doing the prep for this, I mean, this is such a, it, it's such a topic and we're scratching the surface. And I think your final point of continuing the education, continuing the conversation, continuing to flood the literature, you know, make this something that is constantly in our thought process, I think is really, is really a key. And hopefully we can continue this and this podcast is another way for us to, to flood the media and uh, get people talking about it. So uh, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.